0: Did you just
1: pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
1: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly
2: be at the heart of it all. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com
3: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today we're talking about a rather broad but important topic which is the tendency of various people to exoticize non-white beauty. So let me break it down real quick. We came to this idea because I was reading some tabloid magazines. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry.
4: Hey, sometimes it's fun to read a tabloid. But
3: every time I go home to see Sally, she, mom? she hands me like this stack of tabloid magazines. Because she religiously goes every Friday to the grocery store to buy her tabloids. She would die if she heard me say this. But anyway, so I'm flipping through and they're like two months old. And one thing that I noticed was how actress Lupita Nyong'o has attracted so much praise and adoration. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, that's great. She's a talented actress and she's achieving the attention and the praise that she deserves. Well, then I'm reading a couple more magazines and then I start looking at the Internet and I'm thinking this attention that she's getting is kind of weird because it didn't it started to not feel genuine it started to feel like it was coming from a place where people were tripping over themselves to adore her and and heap adoration on her for strange reasons and then i started to think are people just obsessed with this actress because
4: she's black well and by people are you referring more specifically to white people i am Referring more specifically to white people, in this
3: instance, white people in entertainment media, but also the blogosphere, I mean, news programs, anywhere that's talking about Lupita Nyong'o seems to be referring to her as some otherworldly, exotic beauty. And what does that even mean?
4: Yeah, it's that word exotic that comes up a lot, which is what we really wanted to Dig into and a lot of our conversation in the, in the first half of this episode is going to focus on Lupita because it is Caroline such a perfect example of how culturally we, it's, it's like we were almost trying to consume her and figure out like what what her beauty means for us. And uh, just for a little bit of background, th- this might seem a little dated because Lupita's star really shot up during uh, award season earlier this year when she was receiving award after award and just looking stunning in general on so many red carpets. And she ultimately received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Patsy in 12 Years a Slave. And it was a highly celebrated win. She looked incredible that night she gave a very moving speech and like you said Caroline the the blogosphere heaped so much deserved praise mm-hmm. on her but it was almost taken to this next level particularly I felt like it really started to spiral into this huh what are we really talking about extent when people named her you know the most beautiful mm-hmm. woman in the world which again like of course, like, she's gorgeous. Her star is rising. Um, and she also got a contract with Lancome Cosmetics. And it was as if people just couldn't talk enough about her exotic beauty in particular.
3: Right. It it seemed as if everybody, and I mean, I say everybody, I mainly do mean white people. It seemed that a lot of white people were tripping over themselves to say how beautiful she was, to to talk about her acting chops. I don't know. It just didn't... There was something off about it. There was something strange and slightly disingenuous. Not that she doesn't deserve the praise. Not that she's not beautiful. But all of the compliments seem to focus on how different
4: she was. Right, the exoticism factor. For instance, the Daily Mail proclaimed her exotic beauty and acting debut in 12 Years a Slave has left both Hollywood and the fashion world breathless. Over at Forbes, you have Nyong'o is the kind of star publicists dream about. She has an exotic background. And then at Hollywood Reporter, you have the fashion world appears ready to promote her beauty, even if to some it seems exotic.
3: Yeah, over at Salon in April, Agunda Okeo called for everybody to stop this whole exoticization, this whole othering of this actress. And she really rolled her eyes at that Hollywood Reporter story Um because the writer, the Hollywood Reporter writer seemed to really be fretting about how in the world Lupita will go on in Hollywood. How will she succeed? How will she overcome her differentness? And they wondered, can a black actress ever reach Julia Roberts' stature? And the story and Okeo both name other African-American actors and actresses, but they they seem very concerned that Lupita just can't, reach that upper echelon of acting the way that Julia Roberts
4: has. Well and it's not so much the the question of will she post Oscar be able to continue, you know, climbing the ranks to A-list Hollywood, because there has been a problem, it's called the Oscar curse for a number of African American women in particular who've received Academy Awards, but then don't go on to get a number of really great meaty roles after that. But the issue there isn't so much in the color of their skin, but rather a lack of meaty roles written and given to women of color in Hollywood that aren't roles such as a housekeeper, like someone in The Help, mm-hmm. or a slave, like someone like Patsy in 12 Years a Slave.
3: Right, yeah, and it is that concern about roles, which I think that conversation is way more productive and justified than a conversation about her skin color. Um the Hollywood Reporter quoted a studio executive talking about how there are so few roles out there for women of color. Those roles are not are just not being written, he said. And in quoting a talent agent, uh, they said that for someone who looks like her with a distinctively black African face, maybe she's someone who can change the direction for darker skin actresses, actresses who are definitely not European looking, but it may require some forward looking director to push for her.
4: Well, the good news is uh, it was recently announced that Lupita is going to be in the newest Star Wars that's coming up. So it, it doesn't seem like she is immediately doomed for some kind of post-Oscar slump. But there's still that problematic issue of exoticizing this beauty, because the the funny thing about it is everyone was sort of falling over themselves and and praising the fact that the academy had selected this more quote unquote, exotic woman who had this exotic background with this exotic face wherein actually her background is not so much <laughs> unlike double negative. Meryl Streeps, for instance.
3: Right, yeah. This is pointed out by OKO again, that basically, like, here's Meryl Streep. She also kind of had to carve her own path because she did not have that traditional Hollywood starlet look. The more delicate features, the blonde hair. Um, But, yeah, Streep was raised in a middle-class family, attended Vassar in the 1960s, where she felt out of place among some of her, her more affluent peers. And during auditions in her 20s, she was often deemed not the best fit for Hollywood's archetype of what a female celebrity should look like. And it seems like a similar conversation right now is happening
4: with Lupita. Now, on the other hand, with Nyango, I think there was this initial idea just because... She doesn't look, for instance, like Meryl Streep, that she must have come from some, you know, troubled background and really scraped her way up and then magically got this role that then got her this Academy Award. Mm -hmm. When in fact, Her background is uh, quite privileged. Um, She was born in Mexico City and raised in Nairobi. Uh, She had pretty affluent parents. She went to Hampshire College for undergraduate, where she wrote and directed a feature documentary on albinism in Kenya called In My Jeans. Um, And she then went on in 2012 to graduate from the Yale School of Drama, where she was regarded as a stellar student. So she actually has a pretty traditional, if not... Um, elevated in a way film background where she has been working her way up to this point. And the very fact though that that's a surprise to a lot of people is part of the reason why they're having this conversation. That's, that's part of the problem. This question of like, well, why would we automatically assume otherwise?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it fits in with a lot of people's assumptions and ignorance about Africa, frankly, about like it must have just been some lucky break for this unfortunate girl to have made her way here into acting, and now she's won an Oscar. It's like a Cinderella story, when really she was she was never Cinderella. She worked really hard. She came from a privileged background, and now she has earned her success.
4: And that's one of the reasons why, writing over at Huffington Post, Dr. Lisa Tomlinson kind of calls out the racist undertones of this uh, obsession with her among more of the white public, because it's not so much about her acting skill, but rather, again, the othering of her beauty. Right, yeah. Tomlinson talks about how... You know,
3: who is it? Who is it that's calling Niango unconventional and exotic and other? And she says that it is coming from the white supremacist, patriarchal and capitalist lens, that it is mainly, I guess, white people who are saying that she is the other, that she is unconventional. And Tomlinson goes on to write that mainstream media has systematically exoticized racialized women for white consumption. She goes on to talk about Gabri Sidibe, who was in Precious, and basically says, you know, it's not like Hollywood let her break through, because while she had the same dark skin that we praise Lupita Nyongo for, she doesn't fit into that standard Hollywood beauty. She's not going to wear a size zero or a size two dress, so we don't know what to do with her. And, you know, Tomlinson also makes the point that in a lot of these conversations, the blogosphere whoever we tend to we tend to phrase frame this conversation as oh this this individual is really overcoming a lot of self-esteem issues tied to his or her skin color when in reality dark skinned women elsewhere in the world outside of the us outside of the west are actually barred from seizing better opportunities economic job opportunities because of their skin tone. I mean, the fact that skin whitening cream is is as popular as it is in so many countries, there are views of what lighter skin tone means in other countries that don't just boil down to self-esteem or the white beauty ideal
4: that we talk about here in the West. Well, and speaking of complexion, I mean, that's something that she brought up herself. Nyong'o did in a speech that went viral, actually, Um, around the time of the Academy Awards, she was giving a speech at a dinner for black women in Hollywood, and she said, quote, my complexion had already become something to overcome, and she really talks about the fact that, you know, when she was growing up, she didn't think she was beautiful because it was something that she never saw in advertisements or on film or in television. Again, it gets to that visibility issue that we hammer home over and over again on the podcast, and how she hopes that, her being on screen hopefully more and more will be an example to girls like her growing up who don't think that they're beautiful because society you know, usually upholds white beauty standards over non-white beauty standards. And what's interesting in that speech, too, is that she talks a lot about the importance of inner beauty and, and this quote from her mom about how she would tell Lupita over and over again when she would fret about these kinds of things that you can't eat beauty you can't just consume it you know you have to sort of live from the inside out and her talking about beauty in that way is so much the antithesis of the way that she is in many ways being consumed by white culture, um, which is why Eugene Lee Yang over at BuzzFeed in a conversation about this, um, said, is her beauty worshipped because she's black or because she somehow transcended our superficial idea of what black is? And side note too, as a white person, I think there's also this, um, aspect of wanting to pat ourselves on the back a little bit for elevating her to this position. But at the same time, we're really ultimately just commodifying her beauty for our own pleasure, which is really uncomfortable to hear myself say out loud.
3: No, I I would totally agree that there seems uh, Eugene Yang talks about how there's this like almost religious fervor with these observations of Lupita Nyong'o's beauty. And I, I do think there is an element of that where where um, white people are <laughs> trying so hard not to appear racist all the time, or they're making such an effort to say like, Hey, it's the kind of thing where like, Oh no, but I have black friends. It's that kind of thing. So when they're going out of their way to say, Oh, she's so beautiful. It's, it's almost like, you know, why you're trying really hard to come off as open, open and
4: accepting of someone else's beauty that you didn't grow up used to seeing. Right. And a number of African-American bloggers have also pointed out, too, in this broader conversation of how these this sort of eroticizing of particularly the the darker skin tones or the lighter skin tones happens within their communities as well. And actually, Damon Young over at Ebony was talking about how <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o being elevated to this uh, status as a beauty icon. Is good for black boys because the 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 white beauty standards certainly aren't don't exclusively impact what white people think beauty is as well. He writes uh, about how images kids are exposed to matter, and that black stars have often looked like Halle Berry, Beyonce, or Rihanna, reinforcing that light skinned black women are the norm and the most. Desirable,
3: Right. And he admits that as a kid growing up, he, you know, fell into that as well, that he idolized these lighter skinned black women because that's just what he was presented with over and over all the time. And he was, you know, obviously... It's not just, yeah, like you said, uh, these media images don't exist in a vacuum. Everyone's being exposed to them. And so he was also being exposed to images of what, quote-unquote, beauty is and how that was often equated to white women. Beauty, and this is a lot of bloggers and even researchers have talked about this, that the word itself, beauty, is often tied in with white women.
4: Oh, yeah. There was some, I forget who it was, um, it brought up a very good point, to where if you just Google image, beauty, you usually are served up 95% white female faces. Um, and, uh, but, but speaking a little more about skin tone, Jamila Lemo over at Clutch was talking about how there's also the exoticizing, not just of, you know, it's like white people are exoticizing Lupita's darker skin tone, whereas there's also within the African American community sometimes, the exoticizing of lighter biracial skin tones. She talks about the use of regular black girl versus the language of the exotic, which is often used to denote a woman of color with European or perhaps Asian heritage.
3: Yeah, and Amina Khan over at the Black Girl Dangerous blog in April talked about how language matters. And she says that dark-skinned women are shunned and mistreated even by dark-skinned men. Their lighter-skinned sisters praised and glorified as though the association with whiteness makes them somehow better. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob.
1: Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in
2: hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs
1: Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running
2: smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to two four two four two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: Did
1: you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
4: And I feel like so many times the people who use the word exotic to describe... A woman who is likely of, of not the same ethnic origins as they are, think it's some kind of compliment. But a lot of times when you hear from women who are referred to as exotic over and over again, it's not a compliment at all because it's incredibly objectifying and sort of just boiling them down to this, this other status. Yeah. And I mean, calling someone exotic says a lot more about the person who's saying it than it does
3: about the person who's receiving the word. And Kristen mentioned the term racial microaggression. And using the word exotic is an example of that. And to define it for you, uh, it's a term that was first used by a professor of education and psychiatry at Harvard University in the 1970s, Dr. Chester Pierce, but it was popularized more recently by Columbia University professor Daryl W. Sue, author of Microaggressions in Everyday Life: Race, Gender, and Sexual Orientation. Basically, a microaggression is where you maybe you think you're saying something to be nice, like calling someone exotic, when really it's just you telling that person that you think
4: they're the other. And expounding on that a little bit, psychologist Gal Alzine Sadie talks about how When you call someone exotic, uh, again, it's usually intended as a compliment. But as we all know, intentions (laughs) don't necessarily make what you do okay. because when you really break it down, an exotic beauty isn't the same as a true beauty. Therefore, it's ultimately a discriminatory sentiment, Saidi writes. And as
3: far as dating goes, um, going back to that BuzzFeed conversation that we mentioned earlier, Hiban Nagatu was one of the people in the conversation. And she talks about Lupita saying that I think she's being fetishized for her dark skin and appearance, but this doesn't translate into being coded as hot or sexy or other terms that denote desirability. I want her next role to be a romantic comedy. And I mean, I think that's that's an interesting point, that just because you call someone exotic... That doesn't necessarily mean you're calling them beautiful or think that they're cute or, you know, think that they are Julia Roberts uh, starring with Hugh Grant in a romantic comedy material. And so in that way, really, your compliment is almost hollow because they're not being included in the general, the more general standard of beauty.
4: Yeah, this was something that Alicia LaChapelle Friday wrote about at The Root. Um, she has... A Louisiana Creole heritage, um, and her family identifies as African American. And she talks about how anytime guys would come up and call her exotic, she knew exactly what was behind that. It was this kind of short-lived enthusiasm. And she said that ultimately, quote, I feared I would never encounter a man who didn't make me feel as if I weren't an animal completing his search for a rare pet and when you read too there there was another uh, blogger jandy wilson over at ExoJane, jane writing about a similar kind of thing and i feel like almost pretty much any time i have read or heard a woman uh talking first person about this kind of fetishization that happens that's specifically focused on their ethnic makeup it is as though they Non-white ethnicity is simply seen as an open invitation for catcalling, for comments, for groping, for, you know, it, it is that kind of, in the way that Lashfell Friday puts it, that search for a rare pet.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's why this conversation over at the Hairpin was really interesting. Um, Gia Tolentino over at the Hairpin was talking about a National Geographic piece. Talking about what, what our babies are going to look like in 2050 and how we're going to exist in this, you know, post-racial society where interracial relationships are the norm. And so with all of this melting potness and all of this blending, our kids are going to be these beautiful,
4: dark-skinned, light-eyed, curly-haired, you know, supermodels. Yeah, everyone will kind of look, as Delito pointed out, like Rashida Jones and Policy Mike sort of uh, viralized it for the Internet, and it went wild on social media and everyone. And again, it's also a lot of white people (laughs) saying, like, yay, I can't wait for that time when our babies are going to look so much more interesting (laughs) and just a lot cuter than they do today. And Tolentino sums up
3: uh, this attitude in, in in a statement that really, like, I emailed Kristen and was like, did you see this? She writes... Look at how beautiful it is to see everything diluted that we used to hate. So, while it is great, it is great to celebrate interracial relationships and the fact that you can't get arrested anymore for a black man marrying a white woman, for instance, there is the whole conversation of like, well, wait, is, is a, is a quote unquote regular black person or regular white person not okay? Do we, are we trying to change people? Are we, do we not want to let People be who they are or,
4: you know? I'm- well, because it's, it also kind of traces back too, to the fact that, um, as much I think as we would like to live in some post-racial utopia, we don't live in a post-racial utopia as probably n- people of color can attest to far more than white people as still the majority can attest to. And that was something, um, talking about these semiotics of race and how that kind of othering of non-white people, particularly if you look in advertising, for instance, it still happens quite often. Right.
3: Yeah, Amina Khan, who we mentioned earlier from the blog Black Girl Dangerous, talked about this whole semiotics issue, which is basically the study of how signs and symbols are used to create meaning. And so what an image of a certain type of person is supposed to communicate to us as a society, as consumers. She uses the example of a perfume ad where a white woman looking very satisfied is reclining on a bed while with his back to us, we see a black man standing over her. And the ad copy, which I like I had to read a couple times because I almost didn't believe it at first, but the ad copy was take a walk on the wild side. And the implication is that if you use this perfume, you will get a thrill, you will be wild, you will be the type of woman who sleeps with black men and isn't that kooky.
4: Yeah, I mean, and if you even take that further, uh, this this has me thinking about how uh people of color and and often, you know, indigenous groups are used far too often in fashion ads mm-hmm. as just background props for white models wearing sometimes, you know, in indigenous inspired clothing that has really just been culturally appropriated from other groups. And this leads up to this Really important point that that Khan made talking about those semiotics of race. She says, we must resist these categorizations at every turn. We must resist using blackness to s- signify savagery and animalism. We must resist using brownness to signify an exotic, mystical East. And why? Why? Because we must also resist using whiteness to signify purity and enlightenment and righteousness.
3: Yeah, and she talks about how words like pretty and beautiful and cute are reserved for white women or white models in magazines whose bodies and sexualities aren't seen by society at large, as wild, animal, or untamed. Um, And exotic is totally wrapped up in that, because how often... When's the last time you heard exotic used for a blonde white woman from the Midwest? Right. I mean, certainly in our culture, we would never describe a woman like that as exotic. But we'll, we'll call black women fierce... Or striking or eye-catching or exotic. We'll call black men hulking, threatening, thuggish. We'll call white men charming with hearts of gold. But, you know, I mean, those are are lines that are unfair to the people that are being referred to that way. But, I mean, they're unfair coming out of the mouths of... I don't know.
4: Right. I mean, because they're ultimately, it's ultimately marginalizing. Right. Exactly. It's boiling people down to stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, in, and in this conversation, we've really focused on exoticizing people of African descent. But really, this applies to, I mean, this happens so often, too. You hear about with Asian women. It happens with, you know, pretty much any any non-white female in particular, although it can also happen with men as well. Right. This really cuts across ethnicities.
3: And what's even weirder about this conversation is talking about quote unquote exotic beauty or in this, in this instance from CNN, ethnic beauty as something that is a fashion statement. Instead of just saying, well, some people look like this and that's how they look and other people look different and that's cool. The CNN article from 2010, reads like a story from the onion it is talking about fashion and it is talking about quote-unquote ethnic beauty as if it is something that is now in and that you should aspire to and aren't you
4: curvy girls lucky to look the way you do and this ties back to our conversation last October about cultural appropriations, uh, really in the, the context of what not to wear as a Halloween costume, because the problem, for instance, with, say, wearing... Uh, Native American inspired war bonnet as a white person like Pharrell recently did on the cover of L UK and quickly had to issue an apology for is because it, it ultimately just uh, appropriates and then commodifies mm-hmm. another group's uh, ceremonial sacred garb for our own white capitalistic gains, because again and again and again throughout this article, it is incredible how uh, non-white features are simply just turned into these selling points. Uh, for instance, you have this one plastic surgeon they interviewed saying fuller lips are definitely associated with ethnic cultures. And I don't think these trends are going to fade away too quickly.
2: Yeah.
4: I mean, this, this is not empowering. Well, and it's not, it's not, uh, I think they were trying to pitch it as, oh look, we, our, our definition of beauty is expanding, but no, actually, I think we're just now commodifying non-white beauty in this instance. I mean, one Marie Claire beauty and health director that they talked to, described our quote-unquote obsession with rich brown skin complexions, which have boosted the sales of self-tanning products. What? But has that done anything for the day-to-day lives of people who actually walk around with rich brown skin complexions? No. So what good is that doing anybody except for pale-skinned women like you and me who can get tanner faster if we want to? Yeah, it makes it okay. And if you happen to be a, a white person listening to this podcast and, and don't exactly grasp not just the wrongness of this kind of exoticizing of non-white beauty, but don't even grasp the, the ridiculousness of it, because it does get ridiculous at a point. Let me just offer uh, this quote from this satirical Tumblr called Exotic White Girls. So from a post they wrote called The Beautiful White Dialect. Uh, And it goes, I love how beautiful and simple the exotic white dialect is because it has less words and lacks any logical grammar. It just sounds so peaceful, calming and real. You can just feel the emotion when you listen to them speak. It varies from tribe to tribe, but throughout the white motherland's. It's basically the same. I took a two-week service trip to build a McDonald's with authentic white food and lived with an authentic white family. So I know. And did you know they have 20 different words for coffee, but no words for self-aware? Like, I know when I read that, Caroline, a little light bulb also went off in my head of, oh, this is what it sounds like when we talk like that about other people.
3: Yeah, because that language, and I mean, I've already said this, but I mean, that language says nothing about the people you're talking about. When When you're saying something, calling someone exotic or what have you, it says everything about you and your perception and the way that you're using language and the way that you think it's okay to use language.
4: And I do think that overall, our collective perception of what is beautiful is broadening but I think we still have progress to make in terms of how we talk about it and how we consume it and our relationship with it and also with the people that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I just think that um, patting ourselves on the back for, for instance, Lupita Nyong'o, an incredible, beautiful actress, yes, receiving an Academy Award and saying, OK, well, progress is here. Let's go about our day mm-hmm. is... Uh, very short-sighted. This
1: episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest
2: talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the
1: position: warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist,
2: bellhop, podcast producer.
4: it just being me.
1: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
3: So we're definitely interested to hear from our listeners on this topic. Are you a woman of color who has been called exotic? Have, have someone ever said to you, no, where are you really from in conversation?
4: Yeah, let us know all of your, your thoughts and experiences with us because I think this is a conversation that needs to happen more. I don't think that we talk about it Enough and we really want to hear from you. So please let us know your thoughts. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast and message us on Facebook as well. And we have a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I've got a letter here from Maggie. In response to her episode on gay wedding traditions, she writes, I'm in the process of planning my gay wedding with my fiancé. So first of all, Maggie, congrats. She continues you asked how gay couples feel about straight people refusing to marry until we have the same rights I can only speak for myself I'm not even speaking for my partner because we haven't even really discussed it but it doesn't matter to me at all I want everyone to be married who wants to be married I suppose it just depends on the intentions it's become a joke that men will say that to avoid marriage whether that really happens though I don't know I live in a state where gay marriage is legal in Delaware and I live in an area of that state with a high concentration of gay people I've never personally I've personally been the victim of discrimination. I'm extremely fortunate. My family and friends and even strangers have been nothing but supportive. I have 20 nieces and nephews and all of whom are old enough to understand, know that I'm gay and can't wait for their Aunt Amy to finally become their Aunt Amy. I've been a bridesmaid for, I think, seven straight weddings (laughs) and therefore a part of all those plans. And I know that our wedding looks almost exactly like theirs. The only thing we've had to question about is who will walk down the aisle first? All the other questions are the same ones any couples have. What song will we dance to? Where will everyone stay? What time will the ceremony be? Where I live, those are the most important questions. Well, Maggie, good luck with your wedding and best wishes. I have a letter here from Kate that is also in response to our Gay
3: Wedding podcast. She says... I was at an HR conference listening to a panel discussing relocation benefits for employees. One of the speakers from one of the biggest U.S. insurance firms stated, Our high-value talent is expected to buy homes. A sign of maturity and readiness for leadership at our company is having the home, the wife, and the kids. If you don't do these things, you'll be passed over for a promotion. I was first shocked an HR professional would openly admit to having a policy of discrimination against employees with alternative lifestyles, and by that I mean single people who may not have found the right person yet, but also by saying these heteronormative standards are a prerequisite for success, this company conveys to their gay staff that they will be discriminated against irrespective of their legal ability to participate in these expectations. As we know, statistically gay people are of lower income than straight people. Perhaps this is not only because they are denied marital benefits, which help individuals to accumulate wealth, but also because of workplace discrimination owing to their marital status. Quite the vicious circle.
4: Quite indeed, Kate. Thank you for writing in. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can send us your letters. You can also find links to all of our social media, all of our podcasts, including all the sources for our podcast episodes as well, blog posts and videos over at the one-stop Sminty shop, StuffMomNeverToldYou.com.
0: Visit TomboyX.com.